Welcome to the Hardware Asylum Podcast Extras. This episode, we talk about changing the face of overclocking competitions and one valiant effort. I'm your host, Dennis Garcia. With me today, I have Darren McCain. As hardware enthusiasts, there is one aspect of the computer that we've all dabbled with, and that is overclocking. Yeah, you may have attempted it or purchased it, but pretty much anyone that's been around for a while has given it a go. And probably the creme de la creme, you know, the top shelf style of overclocking is what they call extreme overclocking, where you take a bit of liquid nitrogen or maybe even liquid helium and cool your CPU, GPU down to, you know, pretty much the the lowest level it can possibly go, crank up the frequency, crank up the voltage, and try to make it go as fast as possible. That's right. Kind of a drag race, if you will, for the processor. And that's a, that's a core aspect of overclocking competitions. In the past, we had competitions where you have to reach a certain score, and the fastest person basically wins all the points, and they move on to the next round, and they start all over again. So you have like SuperPi benchmark, for instance, and then you go into a FutureMark benchmark, and whoever has the fastest score, the best hardware, wins the competition. Well, I think you've made a valid point there because one of the critiques that I've always had about competitive overclocking is how dependent it is on the hardware itself, bidding, if you will. Yes. It's very difficult, in fact, impossible, I would say, to find two sets of hardware that are identical enough that it's 100% scale-based. And that's where, you know, with the MOA, for instance, that was a competition that I was somewhat involved in. I was reporting on it. Before the competition, they set out for several hours bending all of the CPUs and the GPUs to make sure that they were able to reach a certain speed. Ah, Boring. You know, you have a point that is extremely boring and also extremely expensive. You know, we're talking like $1,000 processors that maybe we'll do four gigahertz. Yeah, and what do you end up with? They've already kind of done the competition, right? Well, one person's on the competition and nobody saw it. Uh, okay, so we can set a logical benchmark based on some random dude's testing. Yes. Yeah, still boring. Still, Yeah, still boring. So at the actual competition, though, you know, we have liquid nitrogen fumes coming up and we have this frantic running around trying to yeah. fill up LN2 containers. and See, now that's what I'm talking about. That's where things get more interesting because liquid nitrogen is cool. Yeah, except that they go on for three hours at a time. Yeah, that's kind of boring too. And I guess once you've seen a couple of pours, you're kind of over it. And yeah. the reality is there's not really much to see there. I mean, you don't know what the temperatures are. It's hard to even understand what they're doing with the clocks. And you don't really know these guys most of the time. And you don't know what their hardware is. You don't know oh. anything. Well, actually, you know the hardware because, for instance, at the MOA, it was all MSI hardware. So everyone had an MSI I motherboard. Guess that's true, but that's kind of takes some of the fun out of it, too. I mean, let's go back to the car racing analogy. Mm-hmm. You got two cars on the line, right? You have a, a Chrysler and a Chevy. Yeah, but realistically, if you didn't build that car, you don't know what's under the hood. Wow. In drag racing, really, you're... You're talking about consistency, how quick you are, how consistently you can be quick. And it's something you can see. I mean, who cares what's under the hood? Show me the car that passes that line first. With the 427. Or whatever works, you know. And if they flame out, flame out. I mean, that's where things get exciting. And that maybe could apply to overclocking as well. But let's face it, when was the last time you saw somebody really blow out some hardware pushing it on stage? Uh, well, never, actually. 
And really, you know, motherboards, as much as people say, hey, you shouldn't push too much voltage into this, it'll blow it up. It doesn't really go up into flames. It's like it just doesn't work. Well, that's part of, I think, where the boring comes in because if you're knowledgeable and you've seen a pour before, then all you're really doing is waiting until they figure out how well their hardware was binned and if they got lucky in their pick, Yep. which is not very exciting. No, and that is why I created an article a couple of years ago after attending the MOA, and I called it, titled, Overclocking Competitions, About the Player, Not the Hardware. Okay, well, so, I yeah, I remember the article. Yeah, it was something that we talked about in a previous podcast. Might be able to link to it. It was quite a while ago. So refresh my memory. If the whole thing is about how good your hardware is and how high your score can be, then how can it be about the player? So in my article, I talk about how we need to parallel overclocking to an actual real sport. And I used golf, for instance. Okay. So in golf, it's somewhat interesting, but it is not necessarily... <laughs> somewhat interesting, right? It is somewhat about the equipment that the player is using. Right. And, you know, if you've ever watched golf and you see a guy putting, you always see the back of the putter, and it has the name of the company that made the putter well, on sure, it. Well, sure, you got to get the money somewhere. And you also have, like, the bag that the caddy's holding. It has the logos on the side. So right. you know who is representing that player. But when the player gets up there and hits the ball, it's like, okay, it might slice off to the right into the woods or it might go and land three feet from the hole. Well, sure. Well, that's where the individual skill comes in. Right. So we can use that in overclocking. And to do that, we have to kind of change the fundamental way that people see overclocking. Okay, I get it. So we're going to let them hit their processor with a golf club. Yes. That will definitely be exciting, but that I don't would, know how that well definitely you can be exciting. measure that. So uh, to kind of high level it in the article, which I will link in the show notes, I talk about how we need to change the way that overclocking is so that we remove bin from the equation. Okay. the bin is the boring part. I agree. So we need to make overclocking more like a game. So okay. we have, say, a SuperPi benchmark, and we have these different targets that you need to reach. And these could be published at the beginning of the competition. And the idea is that you... You have your hardware, and this is your hardware. So it could be like an Asus motherboard with a processor you bought off of eBay. Or it could be an MSI that with a CPU that you found in the trash. Oh, okay. It doesn't really matter because all it is is your hardware. Okay, so I think I see an angle here. So what you're trying to do is make it more hardware independent. And mm -hmm. to use your golf analogy, then I could go out and get whatever I think is going to be the best hardware maybe even sponsored. Exactly. I, yeah, I and, like that. And the controls on that hardware are what enable you to tweak the system to meet the predetermined targets. So we have, for instance, SuperPi. We have five times that need to be met. And the closer you get to that time, the more points you get. So kind of like a par in golf? Yeah. Okay, no, I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it. Yeah, so the par in golf, that portion of it comes into a time factor. So you have, say, a half hour to run all of these scores on SuperPi. Okay. And the faster you can get to the end, the more chance of the points you can get. But the closer you get to those scores, the more points, obviously. Okay, I think maybe I could endure a half an hour if I thought there was an end game like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, obviously, say the first one is 10 minutes. Okay. That's a pretty long time in SuperPi. So, you're going to be underclocking your system to meet 
that 10 minute time mark. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Now slow down a second here. So we're not overclocking anymore. Well, it's clock changing, so to speak. Okay. So you, okay. So, and here's the idea, right? And this is about the skill. So the person that's running the benchmark and running the hardware needs to know how fast their system will run. So if they need to reach 10 minutes, they know that they have to set it to 500 megahertz or something like that. And if they set it set up for liquid nitrogen and it was already, they had to do like 30 second super pie run, it might already be cold. So now they have to keep it cold so that it doesn't have water on it for the next 10 minutes. Interesting. So there's a, a juxtaposition of how those targets can be done and how they're arranged so that you have the life of the hardware to take into account and also the skill of the overclocker to control their hardware. Interesting. So why wouldn't you just bring a second system like a second golf club? Exactly. That is another aspect of it. So for instance, if you are running SuperPi, a 1150X processor might be the fastest solution for you. But then if you're going to run uh, like a FutureMark benchmark, that's the second round or something like that, you need to be able to quickly take that 1155 system off, put an X99 system on, okay. plug in your hard hard drives and stuff, and then start benching with another video card. But then you've got to take some time to do that. I see that. So I think maybe golf is close, but I almost feel like it's more of a closer to the pin kind of competition. Yeah, and that was one of the competitions that I had listed in the back of my article. There's actually three of them. Oh, I'm totally, totally bringing this back. Uh, let me find it real quick here. Oh, this is the page about, hey, um, how the prizes need to be aligned. So we have closest to the pin. We also have a rally, and then we also have a race too. Oh, yeah, okay. So let's talk about the three. So I think we've got closest to the pin down. We're going to throw a benchmark out there, and we're going to see in the time allotted how close our experts can get to this, and we're going to introduce radical thought and let them bring their own hardware. Well, yeah, in this case, you can always bring your own hardware. Oh, okay. So let's talk about the other two. So we have a rally. This is an individual or it can be a group competition. And you are actually closer, so you could probably read this off real quick. Oh, I see that. So we're going to look at the predetermined score again. That's a mouthful. Mm -hmm. And we're going to divide it into sub-stages. Oh, I like this. So a competitor can complete a stage. As soon as they turn in their score, then they can go to the next one. So in theory, you might not make it through all the stages where another competitor might based on how hard or how close you think you need to get to the score. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Ooh, that would definitely introduce a little bit of a frantic element and some gamemanship there because you have to determine what stages to risk for what reward. I like it. Mm -hmm. Risk reward. And of course, uh, it would be kind of like a logarithmic thing. So the closer you get, obviously, the more points you get. But you could just throw up a score, say, hey, I'm not good at this benchmark, and move on to the next one. That's your risk to try to get points in the next one. Very so. nice. Yeah, the rally aspect is clever. So this last one is race two, and this sounds really familiar too. I think we remember talking about this one. Yeah, this was, uh, I think I drive this from a paintball. Oh, that's why this is sounding familiar. So you are going to score this in rounds but they're timed. So you get to run a single benchmark in each round, really tight tolerances. Oh, it's team-based, which is nice. Mm -hmm. So each member of the team gets the same goal, the team that collects enough points in the race to wins. So I totally think this is like paintball because you have so many minutes, say three minutes, to capture the flag. And you capture it quickly, 
you might be able to go and get it again, mm-hmm. or you might get enough ahead where you might want to just slow it down a little bit mm-hmm. and eat the clock. So I like it. Yeah. There was another one that I also I didn't put in the article, which was a team competition, which would be like maybe a factory team. Right. So you could have um, a luck of the draw sort of thing, like flip a coin. That team gets to decide, hey, we're going to run this benchmark or we're going to pass it off. Oh, that's interesting. So say it is a, uh, a Cinebench benchmark. They say, well, our team isn't good at Cinebench. We're going to make them run Cinebench. And then at that point, the judge says, well, this is a target that you get to have. And then they try to um, get closest. Well, I think you had me at factory teams there because honestly, just the concept of having Gigabyte send a team and MSI send a team and Asus send a team or whatever and having them go head-to-head with their own manufacturer's hardware Mm -hmm. towards a common goal to me would be a tremendous step forward in overclocking competition Mm -hmm. because then you have the opportunity to have all these different platforms combining and going head-to-head, which is super cool. Yeah. So, And the final aspect of it is getting the manufacturers involved. So we have the, the advertising aspect of it where you have a user that's using... Asus hardware. Maybe Asus gave that to them, or maybe that's just the, what they prefer to use. Right. So now Asus can use that overclocker saying they won using their hardware. And so it's a marketing opportunity for them. Very nice. Bragging rights. Bragging rights. Now, I also in the article, I kind of talk about the, the cost of it. Sure. So in overclocking competitions, the only reason a lot of them pay or pay to play, so to speak is for either a trip or for like the hardware you get at once the competition's done and maybe the prize money. But the fact that you qualify to go and get a free trip to like Taiwan, for instance, that's good enough for a lot of them. Oh yeah. Cause that's really cool. And a chance to go and do your thing in front of an audience. That's mm-hmm. kind of neat too. And a lot of times you get to take the hardware home because it's all covered in Vaseline and they don't <laughs> want it back. Right. But if you change that, and I did this little quick calculation about the latest MOA that I attended and how much money I estimated that they spent and flying out everybody plus all the prize money, it came to... Wow, 124000 at least. Yeah. And that's a lot of money. So say you take that 124000 as a prize pool and you pay it out to the top five winners. Now all of a sudden people have a reason to go they have to pay their way, obviously, so they can stay wherever they want. They can, like, if they go to Taiwan, they can go to the competition and then they can go see their sponsor or they can go tour around the country, whatever they want to do. If they win, they'll get a certain amount of money and it might pay for the trip. If they lose, then, you know, that's, they'll have to try harder next time sort of thing. But that works the same way as it does in golf. You know, if you are one of the, uh, you know, what is it, Thursday qualifier, you get to play on Friday. If you, um, after two rounds, if you pass the cut, then you are into the prize money. At that point, you pay for, or they pay for you to be there sort of thing. But I also like the aspect that it allows you to split the prize money up into divisions too. Mm-hmm. So you can have pro factory sponsored players, and then you could have your locals show up with their garage hardware and compete also and have a chance to take home some money. And that reduces the front end cost for them too, where they don't have to buy specific hardware per se to be able to compete. Right. Yeah. They could bring in their AMD system. It doesn't really matter because the bin is removed. All you have to do or all you have to have is hardware that will meet 
the criteria for the benchmarks. Well, all this is really kind of a fun discussion, and it's nice to bring this back up to the forefront again, but there must be some reason that we're looking back so far to December 2nd. What's got this back on your mind? Well, Overclocking TV kind of took a stab at this particular idea, and they did a little test in Pennsylvania. Um, actually, by the time that this podcast goes live, it was about a month ago, I guess. So which method did they test out of all of those that we've discussed? I think they did their own take on it, and they did a kind of a time attack. Uh-oh. So it was kind of in flavor of, of my idea or my concept here. So they had a head-to-head competition, and they gave Cinebench targets. And okay. um, if I remember correctly, there was uh, lives associated with it. So it was kind of oh, like a yeah. Super Mario Brothers game. Okay. So I remember reading about this. The... Target attack, I believe, is what they called this. And correct me if I'm wrong here, but this is the one where they threw out a bench and uh, there were two overclockers Mm -hmm. and they had three lives and the one that was closest to the pin in each round would eliminate a life from the other one. So that's the head-to-head aspect, kind of like a a game or first-person shooter mentality, right? So you have Mm -hmm. three lives and there was an opportunity to win back a life uh, yeah, if, they got if the you were exact, close enough or exact, right? Yeah, I think it was the exact score. The concept that they were experimenting with was how feasible it was and how entertaining it was for the overclockers. And I believe it was beneficial. Okay. And they were also testing out some, some streaming gear. They had uh, the temperature shown at the bottom of the screen so you could see what the temperature was on the system. Oh, no, that is cool. I wouldn't mind having that. So tell me... What did they do? They uh, they had how many cameras? I'm looking now at the website, and it had uh, it looks like an overhead one from each person's view, and then is he wearing a camera? It looks like he's wearing a camera. Yeah, there was a body camera, and I think that was the point of view that you could see. Oh, okay. Although if he was sitting down, you just basically saw under the table. So that's kind of interesting. Now I just read the article, but you watched the uh, the broadcast itself. So what were your impressions? I kind of liked it, although. I could see a couple of flaws in the way that they implemented it, mostly because I kind of worked out all the details before with the idea that it was supposed to be beneficial to the hardware manufacturers and also to the viewers. That didn't bring in the the day-to-day of like how to run the competition, which is what they were experimenting with. Okay, so let's talk about some of the weaknesses that we've already talked about. So they had same hardware or different hardware? Uh, They had... That's a good question. I think it was different hardware, but it was the same processor. Same processor. So these may or may not have been pre-binned processors, mm-hmm. or did they bring their own? We don't know. I believe they brought their own because it was kind of a, a gathering event. Oh, that's right. That's right. So this was at an overclocking uh, club, like a party. Yeah. So this was a spur-of-the-moment thing. Mm-hmm. So they had the same processors. They went head-to-head over several rounds. And uh, were they successful? Yeah, they were successful. We had uh, basically one overclocker took the prize. They killed all the lies from everybody else, and they kind of took a break. Uh, it was pretty early in the morning, so uh, obviously... They <laughs> End of a land party. I've been there. Yep. So, okay. Did you find it interesting, though? Because that's kind of the key point. Was it better than the regular overclocking competitions? It drug on for quite a while. There wasn't a lot happening for during the during the stages, they had a preset time, okay. and that was one of the aspects that I also included, is that there had to be a time 
to when, you know, an upper limit of how much time could be done. And that makes sense because otherwise you can just try until you get it right. Right. Um, but you have to have that short enough so that you get only a certain amount of tries. And that's okay. where the skill comes in. So if you had it, say, for instance, running Cinebench only takes, I think, a minute to 30 seconds or something like that. So if you want to have them reach par, quote unquote par, you want to have it four minutes. That allows you to do reboots and retests and stuff like that. Oh, lots of pressure. Yeah. So if it, if you leave the stage to go for 10 minutes, the idea that they would be done in three to move on to the next stage, that gives them the maxima, maximum amount of points. And at that point, they start losing some potential points later on. With their particular time attack setup, it was a certain amount of time to just run one score. And whoever got the closest in that allotted time was the one who moved on to the next stage. All right. So it progressed rather slowly. But again, they were just kind of having fun with it. Well, and logistically, the first attempt, of course, so they're just trying to feel out how to make it work, how to make it interesting. Mm -hmm. So obviously, we talked a little bit about how they could implement it better. But from a watchability standpoint, how watchable was it? I, you know... I, well, I liked the camera angles. I liked seeing the temperature on the screen. There was a fair bit of activity, which was nice to see. Um, again, it was just kind of a casual thing, so there was no nothing on the line aside from you know just kind of a bit of clout saying, "Hey, I won." But uh, yeah, I would definitely watch it again. Although I think if it went ever went into like an esports sort of situation, they would want to tighten up the rules a bit. Obviously, have some official scorekeepers to kind of keep the movement going. Um, when you're doing a broadcast, obviously there's only one camera angle, so you'll have to switch around to different cameras if you want to see everything or, you know, have somebody float around with a camera and get in their face or something. I think I like that element too, because you can find somebody that's familiar with the hardware mm -hmm. and the overclocking methods for, in this case, Cinebench. Yep. They can talk to you a little bit about what they're trying to do and speculate on the effects. I know I've done a lot of overclocking, but it's not specific to any particular core score or even particular application. I'm just kind of going for a high-end number. Yeah. So to me, the concept of hitting a specific number in a specific piece of software means that you have to have a little bit more knowledge about how that overclocking works, specifically with that benchmark. Mm -hmm. Yeah, does it respond well to memory, or does it, you need to actually do CPU speed or something. Absolutely. And I think that's what separates the amateurs from the pros, which is, I think, kind of what we were seeing is a is a, a seasoned veteran doing his overclocking thing. And I don't know how strong the narrative was, but I know when we get to overclocking, there's not usually a lot of talk. No, there's not a lot of banter going back and forth. It really is a competition. Um, some people kind of joke around in between while they're waiting for a long benchmark to end, but Right. You know, for the most part, you kind of have to focus on what you're doing and try to figure out in real time what it is you need to change to get your score or whether or not your hardware is starting to fail because it's gotten condensation, which also plays into, the, you know, the closest to the pin sort of situation where you have back to back to back benchmarks. Overall, it sounds like a very solid first attempt at this target attack. And I'm excited to see that OCTV is at least trying something new. Mm -hmm. And I know that we've talked about this quite a bit, even if it has been a while, but looking at their effort, any suggestions, any advice for their next run? Basically just kind of tighten up the way that the competition is run and try to challenge the overclockers a little more instead of just kind of say, Hey, run this benchmark, get this score, you know, run this 
benchmark get these five scores? You know, something like that, just to give them a challenge. Well, a good, solid first effort. And kudos to OCTV for taking it on. Check out our notes for the link to that, and we'd love to hear your impressions as well. So we'll hopefully see more of these competitions in the future. For more information on the topics discussed in this podcast, please consult our show notes on hardwareasylum.com. Stay up to date on the latest at Hardware Asylum by subscribing to our RSS. Follow us on Google or like us on Facebook. This has been an Engineering Production, copyright 2016. Thanks for listening.